Thank you for listening to the show. I hope it inspires you and expands your view of what's possible in your journey of wealth creation. My hope is that through a repeated exposure to the ideas and the guests you will find here, your view of finance will change for the better. With that said, there's an important caveat that must be stated. The opinions you will hear on this show are just that, opinions. Please don't misconstrue any of what you're about to hear as legitimate financial advice. Do your own research and don't take anything at face value. Understand that everything you hear on this show is someone else's experience that may or may not work for you. I don't know you, I don't know your situation, so I can't tell you what to do. But I can tell you that the one goal of this podcast is to make you richer, wealthier, and ultimately more fulfilled as a human. I'm glad you're here. Please rate it, review it, share it with the people in your world that matter. And without further ado, enjoy the show. We're just going to rock and roll. How's that? I love it, man. The, the The great thing about doing this show is it's just basically the people that I would want to talk to anyways, and then uh, we just freaking start recording. There we go. I have an intro here, but I'm not. I'm just going to skip it. In fact, I'm just going to ask you what your intro is. What is it that you do? Where do you live? How long have you lived there? What's your address? Uh, tell us all about your, your living status, and uh, just skip over that. Talk to us about what you do. <laughs> so when you said address, do you want my public wallet address? Yes, like please give us your like... address. <laughs> yes, I, I won't send my private key. Bro, through. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> honest talk. I talked to a guy yesterday. So you know how you have your recovery phrases mm-hmm. that come in. He's creating the software that takes all of your even uh, words, sends it to one doc, and all of your odd words sends it to another Google doc, and then sends Ooh. it with your financial planner. Gets one set. And then like a trustee gets the other set. Because if you have seven or eight different wallets and your financial planner is like, I need your codes. It's like, no way. I'm not giving it to you. So you have to have both keys at the same time. It's really kind of fascinating. I'm going to talk to him again. Maybe bring him on the show. See if that's something that we can grow together. Yeah, there's actually there's a bunch of different uh, wallets that you can implement that, that utilize that called multi-sig wallets. And that's where you don't need like a whole separate wallet to do that. I'm pretty sure. I haven't dove into that too much, but... Yeah, where you can split it up like that between multiple people. Multi-sig wallets. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Well, maybe just take me through like how long you've been doing this, what's your backgrounds. I, this is the first time we've ever met, which is amazing, but I don't. I want to get to know you. Yeah. So my name is uh, Ryan Horst, and I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Blockchain Insight Group. We also go by Big Crypto. We have a invite-only Discord community, as well as a full program that takes people through what is blockchain, what is cryptocurrency, why is it so revolutionary, what problems does it solve in our world. And then we also teach people how to get started with making passive income with cryptocurrency, so making their crypto make more crypto in absolutely ridiculous amounts. We also teach people the active trading side of things, so how to analyze those candlestick charts. So... If you were to look at one, you read them from left to right in the same way that you read a storybook from left to right. And just like how those storybooks tell, well, a, a story, so do these candlestick patterns. So we teach people how to read them and then how to analyze them and draw lines on them so they can make sometimes accurate predictions of what the price does. And um, we teach them the rules that traders actually follow. And by following the same rules that the majority of traders follows, then placing those lines on the chart, they become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then price reacts according to those rules. Okay, awesome. So do you have a preference in like, what's your number one, number two, number three crypto holdings right now? Hmm. 
Number one and number two are Adam and Luna right now. That's not what I teach my students. I teach them Bitcoin and Ethereum are the, the safest ones to have as your number one and two holdings. But, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Right. <laughs> I'm allowing myself a little bit added risk right now because of where I feel the market is as of November. And I like Luna and Adam a lot, a lot, a lot. Are you, is that because of the staking potential with Luna or what, what in particular do you like about them? So that's part of it. But one of the things that I really love about Luna is that Luna has its own layer one blockchain ecosystem where projects are being built on the Terra blockchain. And then Luna is to Terra as Ether is to Ethereum. But there's other added use cases to Luna, such as the balancing of the stablecoin UST. UST is a decentralized stablecoin in the Terra Luna ecosystem. And in order for UST to stay balanced at $1, it works off of a seesaw mechanism with the Luna token. So what I mean by that is if UST goes above a dollar to like a dollar three, then what I can do is I can burn my Luna into UST at a 3% premium. So then I can make 3% on that burning of my Luna, and then I can just buy Luna back right away, and then I just made 3%. So because of that mechanism of which they created that decentralized stablecoin UST to be balanced out by Luna, it creates demand for Luna, even in the case of maybe even a bear market. When everybody's buying UST, demand for UST increases, and therefore demand for Luna increases. So I believe that Luna will be one of the best bets in a bear market as well. Okay, so based on that, it's safe to say that you feel like we're probably getting close to a bear market. So I'm not going to say that because there's no way to know for sure because the state of this market is inherently different compared to 2017 when we had a massive bull run. And one of the key differences is that in 2017, everything was basically speculation for altcoins. That was our first altcoin bull run in history. And I kind of skipped over my past, but I got started back in 2017 before that first altcoin bull run in history happened. So about a little over four years ago. And back then it was all a bunch of white papers and ICOs and people saying that these projects were going to do different things. And it was all speculation, as I just said. But in today's world, we're actually using these altcoins. We're using these platforms that are built. There's people that have money staked inside of these protocols now. You know, we have a whole thriving DeFi ecosystem and, and DeFi Lego blocks being put together to create different software protocols that all benefit off of each other. So it's just a completely different world for the cryptocurrency ecosystem that we're in at the moment. And because of that, I feel like it's going to be a lot more sustainable than it was before. And it's already proven to be more sustainable than it was before. Gotcha. So in other words, not totally sure whether we're headed into a bear market or not, but it's good to hold an asset that you know could probably outpace a bear market if we head into one. That's where your head's at? Exactly. Yeah, I believe it will perform better if it does. But at the same time, Luna is also awesome for, you know, in a bull run because of the use case that it has. So it's not like I'm preparing for the worst by being heavily invested in Luna myself right now. It's just 
a hedge against the the potential because we always have to be open to the potential of a bear market occurring because we're in such a volatile market. Definitely so. All right, switch gears. I got a question for you. Um, so tokens.com just closed on a $2.5 million piece of property in Decentraland Fashion District. Talking about the metaverse mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, dude, what in the frick is like this digital... I understand... Bitcoin is digital property. I understand that. You look at Michael Saylor, all of the above. But like, we're talking about pieces of land that don't exist, but they exist in the metaverse for two point five million dollars. How does this work? Like, have you read into any of this stuff to know what's going on? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's different ideas of what a metaverse really is. So, there's like the metaverse that combines augmented reality with our physical reality, reality, and then there's also the like metaverse that's like go into a full VR set and walk around Decentraland. So, there's like, in my opinion, like there's two different kinds there, and I don't think we're just going to have one metaverse. I think we're going to have a bunch of different metaverses, just like how we have a bunch of different video games. But as far as like like, are you talking about an understanding of why these properties are going for so much money? Yeah, like this is, it's 90,000 parcels of land. Each land is a 50 by 50 feet virtual piece of real estate. What's the utility there? Like, are you going to kick people off of it? Like, why is it going for that much money? Yeah, so I mean, it's this a very similar utility to what physical real estate holds. So they can have, they can charge people rent in these different areas they can own businesses in these different areas inside the metaverse like i wouldn't like i think something that would be really cool is if somebody created like a movie theater in the metaverse and then they got the licensing with like marvel and all these different movies to play movies just like what amc does in their theaters just like in the metaverse and then you could sit there with your vr goggles on and watch a brand new movie that came out in your bed with your friends still do you pay in the metaverse yeah, you would pay. And if you pay in the metaverse, it's got to be converted to some form of token that can be used in real life. Or do you think the currencies will merge? In Decentraland, the one that you were just talking about, the currency that's used inside of that world is mana, M-A-N-A. And it doesn't have to be converged into anything because that token is is directly tradable with Bitcoin on cryptocurrency exchanges. So, and that's one of the use cases of Bitcoin is it's like the the reserve asset of, of cryptocurrencies. So I go to your movie theater that you bought in Decentraland and I have to pay it for a ticket just like I do in real life. And I pay in mana, you collect that mana and then you in real life, you take that mana, convert it one-to-one for Bitcoin or are they chained together? So it would be whatever the value of man is at compared to Bitcoin. So just like how you can look at Ethereum, yeah. Okay, got it. So it's just like two currencies. Gotcha. Exactly, yep, exactly. Understand. And then when you convert that into Bitcoin for whatever the ratios are, then you can take that money, convert it further into USDC or USD even, or if the world is accepting Bitcoin at that time, you could buy real stuff with it that you generated in the metaverse. Yeah. I mean, and and to that point, though, I really don't think that we're going to get to a point where people are going to want to be transacting with Bitcoin because I don't see Bitcoin as a cryptocurrency. I see Bitcoin as a crypto asset. 
in the same way that we don't trade gold anymore for our local groceries or anything. I don't think that we'll ever get to a point where Bitcoin is our currency that we're trading amongst our peers because it simply doesn't make sense. It's too scarce. We're not going to want to trade Bitcoin. We're going to want to trade US dollar. We're not going to want to trade Bitcoin. So you think the the version here of like a sustainable future is we put USD on the Lightning Network and we use the utility of like the Lightning Network, but we don't convert it into Bitcoin to trade? I don't know enough about the US dollar to give an educated answer on that. But what I can say is that the government is already in the process of creating their own central bank digital currency, which would be using distributed ledger technology, which that's just blockchain is a type of DLT, distributed ledger technology. And that would allow for some of this stuff to take place in more of a transparent way, like as as transparent as the government would really allow, because like we don't know really. They might make it more transparent for them to see our stuff, but not for us to see their stuff. So that's the concern there. That seems like a not a good trait. Uh, but- <laughs> yeah. So I, I read the Bitcoin, what's it called? Uh, the dude, the Bitcoin standard. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot his name. This was maybe a Saffodine year and a half ago. Something. Saifedean, yeah. Yeah. It's and his there. new book, his new book just came out, the Fiat standard. And, you know, it's it's good. It makes a case for like, there is there's a lot of utility in us when we moved on from the gold standard into fiat currency. Like it made a lot of things better for efficiency's sake but it kind of ruined like it it flipped the time preference for civilization upside down which was has had devastating consequences you can't get rid of bitcoin at this point but it sort of seems like the central bank would prefer that like i don't i don't know how that's gonna i think regulation is probably going to be a disaster over the next couple of years from what i'm seeing so if they're smart then they will regulate things softly and then start to add regulations over time and kind of go like the minimum viable regulation route, which I believe that's what they're going to do. And I actually have a contrary opinion to regulation. I think that regulation could actually be the best thing that happens to crypto. And the reason for that is because there's a lot of money that's in older hands that they're scared to move into something that's unregulated. Not only would that open up the floodgates to those individuals that would feel more secure investing in something regulated, but it also would open up the doors to various different financial advisors with offering cryptocurrency related services. And there's a lot of money wrapped up in, you know, UBS and in Morgan Stanley and these big companies where the money that's in those funds, whether that's in, you know, different IRAs and stuff like that, could then start to flow into the cryptocurrency world as well. How far away do you think we are from that? Because the the ETF kind of got kicked down. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no telling. It could be six months. It could be a year. There's really no way for me to predict that. Uh, the government moves really slow, as we've seen. This XRP, you know, SEC lawsuit has been going on for how long now? And it sounded like they've had a decision on that for like, you know, five months. We'll see. Do you feel like there is, uh, right now, do you feel like there is opportunities for the government to just hop in and promote Bitcoin as the Western cryptocurrency of the world? Because we've got China doing its thing. Wouldn't it make more sense for the US to just get in line, like the central governments just like hop on board? 
Yeah, so I, I think they kind of are. There was an article that I read not that long ago saying that they weren't going to be banning cryptocurrency. Yeah, it was the chairman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you saw that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that they're, I, I don't want to say pro-Bitcoin, but I, don't, I think they're definitely pro uh, not banning Bitcoin, <laughs> you know, if that makes sense, um, I, or even cryptocurrency in general. And I, I believe that if the United States does move that direction, starts to ban these cryptocurrencies, then I believe that they're putting themselves on a path to forfeiting their right to be a dominating country in our world, because that's this is a paradigm shift. And if they stifle innovation then they are giving up that right to that, leading that throne. Are you, um, are you invested into real estate or are you mostly uh, like tangible real estate? <laughs> tangible real estate? Not right now, no. But I have fractional real estate that is tied to tangible real estate. <laughs> what do you, is like funds and things of that nature? No, so it's actually through a, um, a website called lofty.ai which uses the Algorand blockchain and people actually go to them and um, they, they pay Lofty to tokenize their real estate and break it up into uh, increments that people can purchase for $50 a piece. And now I'm a part owner in various real estate across the country, including Chicago, and I don't have to do anything. Dude, that's, that's the most fascinating part because you probably are not hitting accreditation laws the same way. It's there's some circumnavigation that's happening. And I think that that is probably going to be the downside of regulation because that is going to go away, in my opinion. When when regulation hits, it, it all comes down to, I think, the Securities Exchange Commission, but they're not typically fans of unregulated or ungated investment opportunities, which I think is going to take some opportunities away from the little guys or people who are unaccredited who like can currently invest into cryptocurrency and things of that nature. But once regulation gets here, if you're not accredited, I think it's going to cut the opportunities down. Have you thought through that that stuff or is am I off on that? Yes. Yeah, so I mean, n- not not too much. Um, I'm pretty new to the tokenized real estate side of things. But to be honest, I don't know how they can regulate it too much because at the end of the day, I'm just buying an NFT. And then that NFT represents part ownership of this real estate. So this is brand new technology. And with how slow the government moves, I have a feeling that, you know, if something does come, I don't think it's going to be for a while. 100%. Are you invested in Tesla? I'm not. Come on, man. What are you doing? (laughs) Bro, like I really don't even mess with normal stocks. I have a financial advisor that manages some, you know, like some of my money for me and whatever he puts it in he puts it in but i don't want to be focused on stocks at all i want to be 100 percent all in on crypto because if i'm not then i don't feel like i'll be able to serve my students as effectively that's true yeah that's true so but you still you still own bitcoin right like you're not yeah. like your top three yeah. are just your top three right now mm-hmm. do you have thoughts on like energy consumption with bitcoin is that gonna get worse No, I think the energy consumption with Bitcoin is only going to get better. So this is actually a topic that I love because I've done some good research on it. So when we look at energy consumption, we have to look at the use case behind that energy consumption. And we also have to look at the source of that energy consumption. So 
if we're looking at the source of that energy consumption with Bitcoin, that source can be fully synthetic, meaning we don't need to take up any of the Earth's resources for it. Now, if we look at Bitcoin's counterpart, which a lot would consider to be gold, we have to dig into the ground and destroy ecosystems in order to actually get gold. There's, it cannot be fully synthetic. So with Bitcoin being fully synthetic as a way to create energy for it, that means that it can be completely fully renewable resources that lead to the energy that the energy consumption is coming from. And then the other side of things is that when you look at the energy that's being consumed, as I was saying, you have to look at the reason behind it, and then you have to weigh the pros and the cons. So what's the cost to benefit ratio between the energy consumption and the benefit that that energy being consumed brings us? And with Bitcoin, it gives us a bank that is not owned by anybody. It's fully decentralized, essentially, a place that we can store our value in a convenient way and then transfer it amongst one another. Now, the Bitcoin network as a whole, and this number might not be fully 100% accurate. I got it a little bit ago, um, but it consumes 60% less energy than all of the dryers that we run our clothes through around the world. So like collectively, all of the people using like tumble dryers in their home, that takes up 60% more energy than running the Bitcoin blockchain ecosystem. And we could just hang our clothes out to dry and it would just take them a little bit longer to dry. But that use case compared to us being able to store value in a decentralized location that's convenient for us, I don't believe that's even comparable. So in other words, Elon's just tripping. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> so Elon also owns his own business. And what he is trying to contribute towards is, I think what he did is good long-term, bad short-term. So he's trying to make everything more energy efficient. If he can save more fuel, then he can use more fuel to get to space. <laughs> true. If you think it from a big, big picture perspective. <laughs> Very true. If that's his thesis, that's his outcome. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. What's the deal with the most recent, you know, Bitcoin just for the first time in, I don't know, two, three years, they just updated, added smart contracts to Bitcoin. Is that happening? Am I, did I hear that wrong? Um, I think you're talking about the taproot upgrade and I yeah. haven't dove into that all too much. I haven't even looked into what we would do with smart contracts with Bitcoin. We've got so many other smart contract platforms and I, I don't know what that would do to the congestion of things because smart contract type transactions require a lot more energy to process and bitcoin already has you know really slow transaction speeds so i i don't know what the use case they're looking to add on for that would be once you figure it out let me know and then <laughs> okay i will i'll decide do you have any whole life insurance i don't i've been told i need to yeah i well nobody can really tell you that you need it but it's an amazing asset as well so you're in, you have some fractional real estate, you have crypto, what else do you have? Anything or is that, those are your just top, so you put all your money into those things? That's it right now. I'm looking to move into like physical, tangible real estate here pretty soon. I'm wanting to, um, I'll probably end up taking a loan out against my cryptocurrency to do that. And um, that way I'm not selling my cryptocurrency. 
and then look to get something here. I've been like on the fence because of where we're at with the market, but uh, every real estate person I'm talking to is like, oh, stop it. All the big fish are buying right now. They wouldn't be buying if it wasn't a good time. And I'm like, all right, well, you're also a real estate agent. So (laughs) that's not necessarily true. Uh, I think it depends on where you buy. All of the big fish buy all the time because they're big fish. Uh, That doesn't necessarily mean it's a great time. But the problem with sitting on the sidelines right now with real estate is the supply and demand is just dumb. It's like, it's going to take us four years to catch up. And so, you know, you, you're, you have a relatively good hedged bet that the demand issue is not necessarily going to go backwards because unless people stop being born, I mean, <laughs> I, something crazy, something crazy would have to happen. Exactly. Um, and the supply issue is just, it's, it's fixed right now for the next, like when I say fixed, I mean, it's invariable. It's not, it's not solved, but it's, it's like a fixed cost issue. When you look at the supply chain, you know, we had everything that happened with COVID and then we had all of this pent up demand. We couldn't turn production back on. So with supply and demand, there's like supply and then there's distribution. And I, I was talking to a supply demand demand guy who thinks that it's going to take five years to get everything fixed, which is crazy. So I think you're I think you're probably in pretty good shape to buy some assets. What else should we talk about? You know, obviously, dude, crypto is like it's your whole world, but it's one allocation for me. Uh, so I'm not as deep as I need to be. Have you have you gotten into the decentralized finance world yet? Dude, I sort of started to. So here's what happened to me. Let me just give you the chain of events from the last six months. I know we don't know each other, but you're about to get to know me. You can ask my EA, Gabes. I figured out like what crypto was in like June, May or June. Uh, it was like the end of May, beginning of June. Bitcoin had its big crash in June. I bought a bunch. Because I was listening to Michael Saylor for the first time. I didn't really know what any of this was. Then I got busy, kind of went into another spree again in, I would say, August. And But this time I went deep into like really what crypto is. And I was like, oh my God, this is a religion. Like This is going to change the entire <laughs> world. Like nothing else matters. Like nothing matters. I don't care about sleep, food, water. <laughs> I I took a substantial amount of money. And put it into crypto. Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Solana. Because I was like, dude, Solana is the best thing that's ever happened because it's so fast. And I just got busy. And so I go through these cycles of like, I'll get really, really excited about crypto. And I'm just like, sell everything. We can literally live outside. We don't need a house. I just need (laughs) cryptocurrency. And then I'll get really, really busy with like the companies and the real estate and everything. And so I'm kind of heading back into like, I want Bitcoin to crash a little bit so I can do what I did in June. I, I want to buy more. Of course, my thesis is that like Bitcoin is probably it's going to have to cross six figures and then it's going to keep growing from there. I am a little trepidatious, though, around just like and it's good to have this conversation because you know more about it than I do. But it's like is, is the government like the IRS like you're, the IRS hates crypto right now. And so the penalties that are incurred and like I don't want to get audited. And so there's just some stuff I have to go in and study. I would legitimately put everything I have into cryptocurrency when I'm in it. But then when I'm out of it, it's kind of like it's it's such a different world that I forget it exists. I don't Mm -hmm. know if I'm making sense or not. Yeah. I mean, so what is your exact question there? Okay. Here's a question for you. (laughs) Um, Is Ethereum ever going to fix their gas fees so that we don't have to pay thousands of dollars just to collect a picture of a monkey? Yeah, so that's what they're in the process of doing with their release of ETH2. 
the reason why transactions are so expensive on the Ethereum blockchain right now is because it's still working off of the proof of work consensus algorithm. A consensus algorithm is just how do all the nodes on the blockchain, all the computer that holds the data. Is that what Bitcoin uses too? Yes, proof of work. Okay, yeah. gotcha. So that's why it's so slow too. Well, you can have scalable proof of work consensus algorithms, but that typically requires something called sharding, which that's something that Kadena is currently doing. It's using proof of work with sharding at the moment to make it more scalable proof of work consensus algorithm. So what Ethereum's doing right now is they're looking to pool enough tokens from you know the whole world into being staked so that they can transfer over from being proof of work over to proof of stake. And then proof of stake is a much more scalable consensus algorithm to utilize because it leverages validators to push more transactions through that way instead of just miners that use computational power that derives from synthetic resources like Bitcoin uh, to solve the different equations and whatnot to end up letting those transactions go through. So they're in the process of solving that, but the time frame on it is up in the air. <laughs> and is that is that because they're waiting on people to pool and stake in their pool? Yeah, so I think part of that is because they are waiting on enough money to be staked as well as the development of the actual ETH2 project to come to completion. Gotcha. Okay. What's the difference between proof of, of stake and proof of history? Isn't Solana proof of history? Yeah, Solana's proof of history. I don't know a whole lot about the proof of history consensus algorithm. My, my partner, Yoni, who's our, our head crypto researcher, he knows much more about that than I do. But I know that Solana... What I'm pretty sure they do is I think they actually store a lot of their data off the blockchain and they store it in, was it uh, in Filecoin system? I believe. I heard that. I'm pretty sure that's what they do. And that's and something about that allows them to have like faster transaction speeds or something. I mean, uh, it's like, it's ridiculous. Dude, it's <laughs> ridiculously fast. Like it's crazy yeah. fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that that's possible with proof of stake as well. And with sharding, I'm pretty sure Kadena is actually faster than Solana's network. So with with NFTs, you know, obviously Ethereum is the big market for NFTs, where the big bigger projects are. When Ethereum two hits, is there like weird transitions that have to happen for all your NFT assets? I wouldn't think so, because it's still going to be on the Ethereum blockchain. It's just you're changing the currency at which you pay to transact on the blockchain so it would be like if i moved and if i took my nft and i moved to another country and i wanted to sell it in that country and i couldn't pay take payment in usd i have to take it in like you know euros or something okay here's another question for you is it normal to feel dumb when you are like trying to look into this stuff it seems crazy over my head yeah, no, it's a completely normal feeling. I felt dumb when I first... I feel like it's a different language. It is. It's a completely different language. It is. It's like anything that you get started in for the first time, it's like this, though. You know, when you first went to ride a bike, you didn't know how to ride a bike. 
You first went to ride pretty, a skateboard. You didn't know how to ride a skateboard. I was pretty good out the gate on everything else. <laughs> pretty good out the gate. Not really. Okay, what other books? What other books should I read? So I'm picking up, working through Token Economy right now, uh, which is fascinating. Bitcoin Standard, Fiat Standard. What else is some good material? Obviously, besides your course, which we should talk about. Oh man, um, how did you know that's what I was going to say? I just, I could, <laughs> I could sense it in the wind. I saw the twinkle in your eyes, and I was like, he's about to talk about it. Honestly, I've been spending just the give me, majority just give me of the my URL time. to your course, dude. What's the URL to your course? And I'll put it in here. We have our um, our free training. That's blockchaininsightgroup.com slash VSL dash opt-in. Okay. Um, that's where you can learn. It's about like a 20-minute long video that goes a bit over like my background and why I invested in because I figured that was the best way to get people to start to believe in this stuff is walk through my thought process of what converted me into becoming a believer in this. Because at one point I was in the same situation that everybody else was in where I knew nothing. At one point I was saying, I don't understand why anybody's buying this Bitcoin stuff. The transaction speeds are seven transactions per second. This is dinosaur technology. Why are any of us buying this? And back in 2017, I didn't even believe in Bitcoin. So I had all of those same revelations and transformations that everybody has to have when they become experienced in the crypto world. So that's what uh, some of that video starts to talk about. Okay, amazing. We'll put that in there. Keep going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I wanted to go in and, and talk about DeFi with you a little bit. I, I wanted to know, you said that you started to dabble with it a little bit. Where did you start going through? Where'd you go? Where'd you end up at? First of all, I have a buddy who is like really into this world as well. And I started with Solana and we went into uh, Sabre tokens and Sunny Aggregator. So I've got, I've got stuff over there that's just like sitting, that's just kind of making money. Did you get into the Sunny Aggregator when it was at like 11,000% APY at the very start? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Like everything else doesn't matter. That's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> yeah. when when you get in, I'm just like, li- literally, I'm having conversations. It's like, dude, I will eat nothing. I'll not eat. <laughs> just put all because you can go to Chili's and you can spend twenty grand, or you can make twenty thousand dollars a year off of that twenty twenty bucks. Or you can just not eat and call it fasting. Exactly, and then, and then it's good for your health and your wallet. Exactly. Bro. <laughs> um, so we have that, and then we also like this. Honestly. I got a little overwhelmed with some of the time invested. Like it just, you know, I went into Ave and Compound and it's just like, I didn't really know, like, do I go with, with DAI or USDC or whatever. And so the thing I ended up moving to, and I know this is not DeFi, um, I just put like a hundred grand in Celsius because it's like 10% on USDC and I don't have to mess with it or touch it or figure it out. And then I can loan against it. I do feel like there are better ways that you could counsel me on to get into proper DeFi because I don't think that's actually DeFi. It's more centralized, right? That's centralized. Celsius, BlockFi, Nexo, those are all centralized finance crypto banks, basically. Where are the areas that you feel like are opportunities for DeFi? So if you are just wanting to hold a stable coin and make money off that stable coin, like what you're doing in Celsius, you can take that same amount of money And then you can move that into something called the Anchor Protocol, which is on the Terra blockchain, which is what we were talking about with Luna. And you can get up to 20% APY just by letting it sit there. 
And then your only risks are smart contract breaches and the depegging of the stablecoin itself, which when you know how the stablecoin stays stable, you know that that wouldn't really make sense because when it's not stable, it just creates opportunity for other people based on the seesaw mechanism we were talking about before. But if you are nervous about the smart contract breaches or the depegging of the one-to-one situation with the dollar with that stablecoin, you can actually buy insurance on that 20% APY, which brings it down to maybe like 15 or 17 or something like that. But still <laughs> I mean, good, dude. Yeah, bro. Like, or you can leave it in the bank and get 0.01%. <laughs> Just not even an option. Is there any risk? Like, is impermanent loss a real thing to watch out for? Impermanent loss is a real thing, but that's only when you're, you know, staking with liquidity pools. If you're just holding a stable coin inside of this, what it's called the anchor earn protocol, there's no such thing as impermanent loss because you're not using anything that's volatile. There's no volatility involved. Are most of your investments in DeFi stable coins? No. <laughs> uh, I use something called the Osmosis platform for a lot of my decentralized investments that I'm doing in liquidity pools in there. One strategy that I'm doing right now that we teach our students is we take some of our earnings daily and then we move it into a liquidity pool that is a combination of a uh, stable coin and one of the tokens that we like, Osmo. And that kind of allows us to have that hedge against the impermanent loss and everything. So we bring stable coins into our mechanisms that we teach, but I'm not like a full stable coin holder in the decentralized finance space now. Gotcha. Okay. How does your, like your students pay you for education and consulting and whatever, but how does it work? Yes. So we have our high ticket program that Gabe's actually joined yesterday. Spending (laughs) spending my money. (laughs) Um, We have that program. That is a four month program where we take people through our uh, three pillars, which I talked a little bit about before, which is the fundamentals of blockchain and crypto, the passive crypto wealth building, which we teach them the DeFi and how to make money passively there. And then um, the active trading. And then the price on that varies. By the time this this podcast launches, our price is going to be vastly different, I'm sure. And then we also have our Discord community where we have a free option, but it's invite only. We don't put the link anywhere out there on the internet uh, just to you know safeguard that community that we currently have because we have a really tight-knit community and we don't want to do anything to compromise that. So we properly vet the people that come into that there. And then we do have a pro version of our Discord that currently people are paying a hundred bucks a month for, but that'll probably also go up as you know, by the time this podcast launches. Gotcha. I got about 50 clients that I think will be interested in what you're doing. So maybe we can work out some invites for absolutely uh, that crew. And- I mean, it, anybody that's in the community is able to invite whoever they want because if they're already in, then that's totally fine. It's not like only the admins can invite. Sure. And like 
Taylor, like if you invited people, like <laughs> I trust you and your judgment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I only, so. I'll only invite a few. I won't, I won't invite everybody that I know. Um, All right. I'll give, I'll give you an allowance. You can have like three invites a day and then we'll yeah. start to bump you up later as our trust starts Super. to grow. Then, okay. then make me start paying for invites. That's, that's the business. Absolutely. Model. Yeah, yeah. 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 We'll make our uh, own cryptocurrency and then you'll have to buy perfect. our cryptocurrency and spend it with us so that you can invite people. <laughs> you are an ethical opportunist that's what i respect about you uh cool man anything else that you want people to know before we roll we'll put all of the links in the show notes this has been fantastic i want to talk to you again uh i need to read and then i'll talk to you again so that i can keep up with you but anything else you want to just like parting wisdom sage advice not financial advice sage advice yeah no 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 financial advice can't do that can't do that i mean the biggest thing that i feel like our world is missing when it comes to paradigm shifts is the inability to see that the opposite is also true. So if they're skeptical about something, just think about a world where there is no skepticism and like, how might somebody come to that realization? And the way to do that, I think is to just think whenever you see something, somebody doing something in the crypto space or doing something that you don't understand, you're like, why are they doing that? Just think that maybe they know something that you don't. And that was the big thing that led me to diving deep into this is that I was watching a YouTube video when I was trying to wrap my brain around this back in 2017. And I saw that somebody had a Bitcoin mining facility in China that was spending about $80,000 a month on electricity. And that there made my brain click. I was like, well, if he's got 80 grand a month to spend, there's clearly something he's been doing right before that. And now if he's willing to spend 80 grand a month on Bitcoin, I, he probably knows something that I don't. So then that was like my triggering moment to really dive deep into everything to understand it further. So just have the awareness to know that your own perception of what's going on might not be the right one because there's other people in this industry that know more about it than you do. And they're creating entire companies around it. It was very expensive for crypto.com to buy the rights to the Staples Center. And that's a 20-year-long game plan because they have a 20-year-long contract for the naming rights. If they're willing to spend that massive amount of money for 20 years, then they might know something that you don't. Just find out what that is. 100%. That's applicable to every area of life, uh, not just money, but everything else. So, well, dude, I've had a great time. I hope you enjoyed being on the show. Yeah, absolutely. All right, later for having me. Really enjoyed our conversation. We will do it again and again and again as many times until you're like, I am not talking to that guy again. So. <laughs> Probably cool. have me on whenever. Absolutely. All right, brother, man. See ya.